our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that any part of us that has gone cold to you, that you would give fire. We pray that where we attempted to drift away from you, that you might bring us back. Where we have forgotten your love and the wonders of your grace, we pray that this morning that you would remind us again of the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ and his wonderful gospel. Uh, So speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's almost nothing that causes more anxiety and pain in the Christian life than to see one of your beloved brothers and sisters falling away from following Jesus. Uh, If you've been a Christian for a while, I'm sure that you can identify with the experience. Perhaps you yourself have a a parent or a sibling, a brother brother or sister, a friend or a colleague, who at one time was coming to church and actively involved, but now they just seem like they're drifting further and further away. And you worry that they may just lose their salvation. I've had experiences like that in my life all too often, unfortunately. Uh, One girl, who I'm going to call Mary today, was heavily involved in my church back in Australia. She taught Sunday school for nearly three years. She was a Bible study leader. She was uh, involved with the, the, the congregational committee. She even served on the CF at her university. But then... She started dating a non-Christian, and within weeks, she left our church to our great anguish and distress. But as we come to Galatians chapter 4 today, we come face to face with an even more terrifying reality, one that's even more dangerous, I think, and perhaps even more uncommon than people leaving church See, Paul was afraid, as he wrote this letter, that the Galatian church would fall away from Christ without ever leaving the church. See, when Paul had preached the gospel in Galatia, the Galatian Christians had left behind their pagan life. They turned to Christ. They'd left behind their attempts to earn God's approval through their own works, and they'd found freedom in Christ. They'd come to trust in Jesus' death alone to make them right with God. And as we saw last week, they became children of God who could call him Abba, Father, and would inherit his eternal kingdom. But now, as Paul writes this letter, Paul is in great anguish because they were being tempted to fall away from Christ. No, they weren't leaving the church, but they were tempted to stop depending on Jesus alone. They were tempted to go back to imprisonment and slavery as they tried to earn God's approval by following his laws. And so as Paul writes this, as the anguish wells up in his heart, he leaves aside for a moment his carefully reasoned arguments from the Old Testament that we've been looking at over the last three chapters. And here in chapter 4, he voices a passionate plea from the depths of his heart. And we see for Paul that justification by faith was not just a theological debate. It was not just something to gather followers under. Paul was a pastor who cared deeply for his congregation members 
and he was worried for them. There continues today to be churches and churchgoers where people drift away from Christ. And so this plea here remains one that we all need to hear, whether we've been a Christian for a decade, for a week, for a year. And Paul's pastor's heart is one that we all need to share as well. So let's uh, turn to Paul's pleas. The first of his pleas is there in verses 8 to 11, if you're following the outline. He, he pleads with them, don't go back to slavery. Don't go back to slavery. See, in verse 8, Paul reminds the Galatians of who they were in their pagan days. He says in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Uh, See, just like those Amani bags and those Rolex watches that you'll inevitably find down at the Pasamalam, the Galatians had been in bondage to counterfeit gods. Uh, The gods that they served may have looked real and, and seemed impressive, but they were actually just fakes that could do them no good at all. And we live in a country, don't we, that is filled with gods, filled with religions, Paul tells us here there is only one true God and many people are enslaved to those who are nothing more than, uh, than, than stones and wood. But in verse 9, Paul reminds them of the fundamental change that took place when they became Christians. Verse 9, But now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God. See, the Galatians had come into a deep and personal relationship with God. They'd come to know the true God. And Paul reminds them, even more importantly, that God had come into a relationship with them. Because the only reason that they could choose God, or any of us could choose God, was because God chose us first, that he wanted to reveal himself to us. He wanted us to know him. And we did begin last week to reflect on what an amazing thing that is. If you are a Christian, God knows you. You're in a deep personal relationship with him, the creator of the universe. God considers you his own beloved son. He loves you just like he loves his son, Jesus. And so you can understand Paul is completely at a loss. If if they've come to know God, if they've come to know the freedom of being right with God, not by their works, but by his grace, then how could they possibly go back to their false gods and the slavery of those false religions? See verse 9, he says, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? It's like a prisoner who's been locked up for their entire life. And one day they are finally freed. But, but just as he smells the air of freedom, looks around and sees the trees and the lovely blue sky, he runs back to the cell and begs the prison, please let me go back into my cell. It's ludicrous. It's insane. It's foolishness. But we need to pay close attention here because these false teachers they were listening to, the Judaizers, well, they did not think that they were bringing the Galatians back to paganism. 
They didn't think they were taking them back to false gods. They thought it was progress, growth. And yet Paul says that by going back to the law, they would be going back to the slavery of false religion. Verse 9, he says, they would be once again slaves to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Now, exactly what Paul means by this phrase is a little bit difficult to pin down. Thanks, Tim, for leaving it for me. Uh, It only occurs four times in the Bible, twice in this chapter in verses 3 and 9, and then twice again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 20. And if you look uh, just back a bit further in verse 3, the footnote, you'll see that some translations, like the NIV, translate it as elemental spirits. And what that translation implies is that the Galatians had not just been previously following false gods, uh, they'd been following spirits, they'd been following demons. And in support of that, we could go to somewhere like 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul indeed does say that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. However, I don't think that's what Paul means here. Uh, Because in verse 3, Paul says that we also, we Jews, when we were children, were enslaved to these elements. Uh, but, But the Jews didn't worship The Jews of the Old Testament didn't worship demons. The Jews of the Old Testament worshipped God, the true God. And so the better translation, I think, is what we have here before us in the ESV. Like the Jews, these pagans had been enslaved to the elemental, elementary principles of the world. Now we get to see what Paul has in mind as we go to verse 10. Paul is shocked. You observe days and months and seasons and years. If we go over to Colossians, Paul talks about you follow all these rules. Do not taste, do not smell, do not touch. See, Paul's talking about what he's been talking about all along in this letter of Galatians. Following religious rules, following festivals, following your own moral effort as a way of trying to be right with God. Now, in this case, he probably has in mind some of the special times in the Old Testament. Days like the Sabbath, months like the New Moon, seasons like Passover, and years like the Year of Jubilee. But you see, for Paul, it didn't matter whether people were trying to rely on the Old Testament law or the rules and rituals of pagan religions. It didn't matter whether people were observing the Sabbath or they were observing Taipusam and Ramadan. For Paul, any attempt to be try and be right with God through religious activities, through one's own religious efforts, even by, even by following God's Old Testament law that he gave on Mount Sinai, Paul says, ultimately, that is a return to slavery and to false counterfeit gods. You can just imagine how offensive this would have been to these Jewish false teachers. But it was crucial for Paul to say it. We see how serious their actions were in verse 11. Paul says, I'm afraid I may have laboured over you in vain. 
Paul was afraid. In fact, he was deeply distressed that if the Galatians went back to the Old Testament law, if they stopped relying on Jesus alone, then all of his efforts, all of his preaching, it would all be a waste. It would all be in vain because they would not be saved. They would lose their salvation. Do you see? It is possible to fall away from Christ and lose your salvation without ever leaving the church building. How? By gradually over time, ceasing to depend on Christ and Christ alone for your life and salvation and beginning to go back once again to following religious festivals, moral good works to make you right with God. Maybe for us we count our church attendance, our giving to church, our taking the communion, whatever it is. But you see, the Christian life is not a bondage to the Old Testament law, as if somehow our salvation hung in the balance and depended on our meticulous and and slavish obedience to every single command that God had. See, in the end, if you trust in anything else apart from the finished work of Christ to make you right with God, then those things that you are trying to follow, they will become your gods and those rules, they will enslave you and they will burden you. Is that you? Is that your experience of Christianity? Is Christianity for you all about performance, all about burden? about striving to do all the things that you're commanded from the pulpit every, day, every week? Are you trying to do all the Jesus things on the outside, but inside it's just burden, it's slavery, and the joy and freedom of the Christian life that we so often talk about, well, it's just replaced by a dreary routine of do's and don'ts. If that is you then it may well be that you are slowly drifting away from the gospel of grace, that you've forgotten that God could not love you more or love you less than he already does because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. If that is you, then you may as well have joined another pagan religion because you are not following the God who reveals himself here in Scripture. Friends, whatever you do, don't go back to slavery. The, the way for us to avoid it is to, is, to, is to heed Paul's words here. To let God's word keep telling us who we are. That in Christ we are free. We are forgiven. There is nothing we must do to earn God's favour. By the grace of God, we must remember We are no longer who we were. We are no longer slaves to false religion. And we need to remind one another to continue holding on to this gospel of grace. Point one, don't go back to slavery. And now we come to Paul's second passionate plea in verses 12 to 16. Don't forget your love for the gospel. Don't forget your love for the gospel. 
Uh, See, once again, we see Paul's pastor's heart shining through in these verses. In verse 12, you notice he addresses them as brothers, that family term, and then he entreats them. He, He begs them with earnest concern. And he says in verse 12, Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. It's actually the first command in the whole letter, believe it or not. And it's a command to live in gospel freedom. You see, when Paul says, I became like you, Paul's referring to what he's been talking about in chapters 1 and 2, how he became like a Gentile to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He didn't stand on his Jewish heritage as he went out with the gospel. He lived in gospel freedom. He embraced them despite what they ate, despite who they were. And so Paul begs the Galatians, become like me, be free in Christ. Don't go back to the slavery of following the law. Don't think you have to become Jews. Live in gospel freedom like me. And to convince them, Paul takes them back right to the beginning, to their joyful acceptance of Paul and his gospel right at the start. See in verse 13, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Now now we don't know what this bodily ailment was. Uh, The most likely uh, option, I think, is that Paul caught some sort of malaria in the mosquito-ridden swamps that were nearby Galatia. But others suggest all kinds of things, as you can imagine. Epilepsy, maybe, some sort of eye infection. Who knows what it was? But Paul's point is simple. When Paul appeared to preach the gospel the first time, there was absolutely nothing in his appearance that commended his message to them. I mean, they were pagans. And pagans usually thought that those who were sick were afflicted by demons. They had every reason to despise Paul, and they were tempted to do so, Paul tells us. And yet, God had so moved in their hearts that they'd welcomed him and his message with joy. Indeed, they'd received him as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. And their loving welcome testified to the truth of his message and testified to their love for Jesus himself. And yet, what a contrast between then and now. Uh, In verse 15, Paul exclaims in anguish, What then has become of your blessedness? I testify to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I mean, what are you doing? In the ancient world, there would be no greater sacrifice than plucking out your eyes. Paul's saying, there's nothing you wouldn't have done for me. You loved me. And why? Because he preached the gospel to them. And they considered themselves blessed. They were overjoyed when they heard the gospel of grace. And came to know God. 
It was that gospel of truth that actually won the Galatians over at the beginning. And now it is that same gospel truth that is their reason to distance themselves from Paul, to leave him behind. And Paul fears that soon they will become his enemies and thus they will become enemies of Jesus too. Now, friends, do you see, if you hold on to the true gospel of grace, then it will overflow. It will overflow in love, in joy, in peace. It's a blessing to receive the gospel of grace. And Paul will have a lot more to say about that as we come to chapters 5 and 6. But notice here, if you, if you lose the gospel, what happens? Notice the envy, the rivalry, the religious pride, and most of all the division that is hot on its heels. How are we going in the Christian life here? Does that gospel message that we heard at first continue to bring us joy? Does it continue to excite us to love and serve Jesus? Or when you hear this message of Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection to God's side, faith in him alone, is it now just something cold, something dry? If you want to avoid falling away from Christ, then whatever you do, do not forget your initial love for the gospel. Do you remember the first time when you heard and understood the gospel? Remember the joy? Do you remember the feeling when, of, of burden falling away as you, as you realised that you didn't have to earn God's favour? As you knew that all of your sins, past, present and future, that they were all forgiven because of what Jesus had done on the cross? that you would have new life, eternal life with him because he was raised from the dead. I remember attending a Christian conference in my university years. It was on the the topic of justification by faith. And I remember coming away from that week with joy because it was one of the first times that I understood for myself that God had accepted me, that all my sins had been paid for, that God declared me righteous, adopted me into his family, and I could now be 100% sure that I would have eternal life with him. Friends, if we are to continue in Christ, we must continue to remind one another of this wonderful gospel. Because the moment we lose it, the moment we forget, then with it will go our joy. And then we'll be in terrible danger of despising the message itself, of losing our salvation and enslaving ourselves to dreary religion that cannot help us at all. Whatever you do, brothers and sisters, do not forget your love for the gospel. Well, we come to Paul's final plea in verses 17 to 20 where Paul pleads with them, don't let yourself be led astray by praise seekers. Don't let yourself be led astray by praise seekers. Uh, In verse 17, Paul exposes the false motives of these false teachers. Uh, Verse 17, they make much of you 
but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Uh, These false teachers were praise seekers. Uh, They were zealous for the Galatians. You might call them committed. They fussed over them. But Paul is shrewd enough to see what drives these false teachers. Uh, They weren't doing it for God's glory. They were doing it for their own. Uh, They wanted to shut out the Galatians from Paul, make Paul their enemy so that the Galatians would come running to them and they'd have another convert in their army. Paul, uh, we read in uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, a little bit later, Paul says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. So the contrast between Paul and these false teachers could not be greater. Paul sought God's glory. They sought their own glory. Paul lived in self-sacrificial love. He preached the gospel even when he was sick. And these people, they preach a false gospel so that they can avoid suffering for Jesus. Now, as someone who's been doing ministry for a little while, I can tell you how easy it is to fall into this trap. No one wants to be hated. No one wants to suffer. No one wants to be disliked. And so it's very easy to change your message and tell people what they want to hear just so that they will like you. We all need to check our hearts. Who are we really trying to please in the Christian life? Whose favour are we really seeking? Our parents? Bible study group? Our colleagues? Andrew Chia? Are we trying to please others? Or are we trying to please God and God alone? The world is filled with false teachers like Paul describes here who are in it for themselves, in it for the fame, in it for the money. And we must beware that we are not led astray to follow them, not led astray by the hype, not led astray by the popularity, that we hold on to the true gospel message that may well have come in weakness, in suffering. As Paul exclaims in uh, verse 18 there, there's no problem with being zealous for the gospel, of trying to win people over for Jesus. But when it stops being about God's glory and starts being about your own, well then you're in terrible danger of falling back into a gospel of works where what matters is is your performance and not the grace of God. Verse 18, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I'm present with you. But these false teachers were not doing that. As Paul closes out this section, we see the true motives that ought to be at the centre of every servant of Jesus' heart. And that is only Jesus himself. Verse 19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, 
I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Paul's got no thoughts of glory. He's got no thoughts of his comfort. The only thing that's in Paul's mind is his great anguish and concern that they finally hold on to Jesus and him alone. His anguish is so great, he compares it to childbirth. Now, I haven't been through that, but I'm guessing that it's not very nice. And yet even that, Paul is willing to go through again. If only he can bring the Galatians back to Jesus. If only Christ will be finally formed in their hearts. So that should be the great concern of every pastor's heart, of every servant of Jesus, of every Sunday school teacher, of every Bible study leader, of every parent with their kids, of everyone who's discipling someone, to so help them trust in Jesus that Christ is formed in them, that they no longer want to live for themselves, but live for Christ. It is only the gospel of grace that can form Christ in us. And it is only the gospel of grace that will bring about this kind of self-sacrificial love that Paul had for the Galatians. Notice Paul's love for them. His longing to be with them. His longing to change his tone. His longing to see them restored. Paul cared so much for the salvation and growth of his brothers and sisters in Christ that it affected him to the very core of his emotions. Paul was not just a theologian. Paul was a pastor who loved his flock. And with no reserve, Paul calls on the Galatians. He calls on his hearers, be like me. Hold on to the same freedom in Christ. Have the same love and the same goal for your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no place for cold indifference in the Christian life. If we've received the gospel of grace, we ought to be consumed with the desire to see our brothers and sisters in Christ have Christ formed in them. And we ought to be in deep anguish, have deep concern when any one of them seems to be falling away from him. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if you take a moment, look around at one another, see one another. As you look around... Do you have the kind of concern, the same love for these people that Paul had for the Galatians? Do you love them enough to pour out your heart, to pour out your soul, that only Christ might be formed in them, that they might trust in Jesus and delight in him alone? That is the kind of heart that the gospel of grace ought to produce in every one of us. Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Well, let's conclude. We've seen today 
the terrible danger for all Christians that we might leave behind the gospel of grace and return to the slavery of false religion. And we've seen Paul's passionate plea, driven by his pastor's heart, as he begged them, don't go back to slavery, don't forget your love for the gospel, and don't be led astray by people-pleasers who want you to adore them only. He said, be like me, live in gospel freedom, for I'm in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. You may have been coming here to church for weeks, years, decades, I don't know. But let me ask you this morning, has Christ been formed in you? Have you given up the do's and the don'ts? Have you given up the life of reliance on religious things? Have you given up the focus on performance on yourself? Can you say with the Apostle Paul what he wrote in chapter 2 verse 20? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord Jesus Christ, may him alone be our vision, be our love, May our eyes be so fixed on him and on his glory that our anguished heart longs for nothing else than to see Christ formed in our brothers and sisters around us. And all the glory will go not to us, but go to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know how prone our hearts are, just like Israel, just like the Galatians, to wander from you, to forget your grace, to forget the privilege of being children of God. We know how easily our hearts go back to religious things, and trying to earn your approval through the things that we do. Thank you for giving us this wonderful passage. Thank you for this warning to not go back to that slavery. Thank you for the admonishment of Paul to remember our love for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he died that he rose again, that he loves us and that he has done everything for our salvation. We thank you for the gospel freedom in which we stand and we pray that you would form in us Christ and that may overflow with a deep concern to see every one of our brothers 
and sisters standing firm in him, delighting in him, all for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.